0: Hey y'all, it's Janice. Welcome to the Dirty Diversity Podcast. This is a place where we will be exploring equity, racism and diversity. I am a DEI consultant, educator, writer and professor who strives to center my work around the liberation of black folks globally. More specifically, I examine and unpack how we can create structures that support the most marginalized folks in the workplace. This is a podcast where I will share my thoughts on all things diversity, equity, inclusion, racism, anti-racism, and black liberation. My goal is to stimulate your mind and shift you to think in a way that you've never considered before. This podcast will feature my thoughts as well as the perspectives of different folks doing related work. If you want to learn more, pick up my best-selling books dirty diversity and the pink elephant where i explore workplace equity in more detail thank you for listening hey y'all Jane Ice on the mic back with another episode of the dirty diversity podcast i don't know why i always do this to myself I'm recording this episode so late, later than my preferred recording time. Um, So I am just holding on to a thread of energy, Um, but I'm so excited to um, be here with y'all. A lot has happened since last week, so I first want to just hold space for the atrocities that occurred this week across Atlanta, and my heart goes out to the grieving families of those who were impacted by the shootings that happened in um, Atlanta this past week. So I wanted today's episode to just focus not so much on the events per se, but just just on some thoughts that I've been thinking about since um, since last week or in the past week. So um, I first want to say that um, thank y'all so much for listening to the podcast. I appreciate the fact that y'all listen and tune in and I hope you're getting value from the podcast. If you are Um, I encourage you to leave a review and just share your thoughts about the podcast with others so that they are able to find the podcast. Um, In addition, um, normally this is when I plug the weekly clubhouse that I am co-moderating, but this week um, I'm not co-modding a clubhouse because tomorrow is my B-Day. So I will be taking a break from clubhouse and just trying to rest and read. And um, it's really challenging for me to just not do anything all day. Um, I plan to get a massage. I plan to read a book. I have so many, I got like 30 new books in the last like few months. And um, I I need to start reading them. Um, So I plan to spend the day reading, get a massage, go to the gym and um that's pretty much it get some dinner Uh, my partner is gonna cook for me so that will be nice um and yeah so i just wanted to make sure to mention that for y'all who um are you know join the room on clubhouse um i think those are all the housekeeping items so let's get into this episode again you know, I just want to hold space for the atrocities that happened. And, you know, I've been thinking about, as I'm sure we've all been, just sort of mulling over the events that happened. And I wrote an article outlining my thoughts in a little bit more detail. As y'all know, um, or may not know, I always say this, but I feel like I am better with articulating myself when I write. So when I have thoughts, I just like to put pen to paper and um, you know, I wrote this article about this idea of white adjacency and proximity to whiteness, and how you know this the the sort of chasing of whiteness, how many of us try to assimilate into white culture and um, try to, try to just sort of contort ourselves and our values into the white dominant systems, how that is obviously not a productive practice because um, whiteness doesn't love us. Whiteness, centering whiteness is not going to change anything. And so, you know, what do I mean by that? Well, I feel like in the past week, I've heard a lot of conversations, you know, I've been on Clubhouse a lot, this past week. And I've heard, you know, a lot of conversations um, within the Black community of people saying, you know, I'm not speaking on what happened to the Asian community. That doesn't have anything to do with me. Um, And I similarly, I've heard, you know, some folks within the Asian American Pacific Islander community sharing how they feel disappointed that, you know, and of course, this is not All, But I've just heard this narrative on Clubhouse being pushed that um, sometimes there is a feeling of a lack of solidarity um, and support from um, that a that is felt within the AAPI community toward the black community. So basically, there's this idea that black people don't return the same support, um, which I, I think we all know is not true. Um, I'm gonna leave an article that I wrote um, in the show notes but in the article I quoted a CNN article that was recently published that outlines the long history of solidarity between the black and Asian communities so the this idea that's being propagated by the media that there is this like tension between our communities is just, I mean, there is a complicated relationship, but there is also a history of solidarity, um, which is important to to highlight and to mention. So I think I speak to every community of color and white folks when I say that, again, whiteness does not love us. And the faster we realize that proximity to whiteness is not gonna save us, the faster we can come together collectively for our liberation. You know. Again, I think that a lot of times um, non-black people of color cling to whiteness in whatever ways they feel like they can, whether that is through behavior and adopting white, you know, I guess white standards and white behaviors, whether that is appearance, um, adopting Eurocentric standards of beauty, whether that is being anti-black. Um, You know, we see people of color being very anti-black, anti-blackness is rampant within Asian communities, within um, South Asian communities, within, even within the black community. So that's not, this isn't something new, but, you know, we see anti-blackness is rampant and people cling to whiteness or try to align themselves with whiteness as an attempt to gain the opportunities and access that we associate with whiteness. And, you know, it reminds me of that poem. And I'll put a link to the poem in the show notes. Um, but the poem is called First They Came. And and the poem goes, first they came for the socialist, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionist and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. And I, it, it so this is a poem by Martin Niemöller. I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And it just really illuminates what I was trying to convey in my most recent article, which is basically the idea that, again, proximity to whiteness. Will not save us. And so, this idea that um, we must do things to get closer to whiteness because that will somehow protect us and save us just isn't true. You could, as a black person, do everything right go to school, get an education, make money, um, do everything by the book, and you could still be a victim of racism. You could still be a victim of police brutality you could still experience a number of negative consequences that could impact your life forever so you know i really want us to to think about how we've all contributed to systems of white supremacy on linkedin i've been seeing so many as i'm sure you know has been the same on all social medias, but I'm on LinkedIn a lot. I'm on Instagram a lot. I've been seeing it, of course, on, um, I saw it on Instagram, but not as much right now. Um, but on LinkedIn, I'm seeing a lot of posts, you know, using the hashtag Stop Asian Hate. And I don't think enough of the conversation is centered on the ways in which we are all complicit in white supremacist systems and I think until we take the time to stop and look in the mirror and look at ways that we've contributed to these these oppressive systems I don't think anything will change you know I think that it's easy to separate ourselves from monsters that commit these heinous acts of violence it's easy to say well this person was somehow a deviant, a social deviant. They were not mentally stable. They were a lone wolf, quote unquote. They grew up in this part. It's so easy to say, well, that's that person, and they are somehow an anomaly. But the the frequency at which these events happened happen within the US and globally shows us and should tell us that this is um, a larger issue that, you know, it, this, this is a larger issue that deserves to be addressed and, and unpacked. Like, why does this keep happening over and over and over again? And I think that part of it is, again, that we're able to sort of separate the actions of one or the actions of a few without taking an honest analysis, without taking an honest look at how we as a society and as individuals have contributed to the systems that continue to oppress our own people and others um, uh, and the most marginalized folks. You know, I, I often hear that, you know, the key is to build wealth and that wealth will somehow propel and liberate us as marginalized folks or us as black people. And I used to I'm not even gonna lie, I used to buy into that idea that the way to the way to not be a victim, quote unquote, of this system is to accumulate wealth, is to become educated, is to live the American dream. And as long as I did what I was supposed to do, I was going to live a successful life. But again, you could do every single thing right and still experience marginalization, oppression, all of these things. Accumulating wealth doesn't do anything to dismantle, disrupt, deconstruct, or abolish systems that were designed to oppress me as a black woman. So... I've been thinking a lot about that and, you know, I think that, again, I haven't done enough sort of self-analyses and thought about the ways that I've contributed to the oppression of other groups. And I think that as long as we think about oppression as a zero-sum game where the acknowledgement of the oppression of other groups somehow takes away the attention and focus of my experiences as a Black woman. As long as I adopt that mindset, um, I we will never be able to move forward as oppressed or marginalized folks. And there's so much. There's so much with this conversation to unpack. But I think that I... It's, again, there's so much to unpack, and I know I don't have all of the right words in a pretty bow and package, but I'm just sort of thinking aloud, sharing my thoughts with you all. But, um, you know, I think that in an ideal world with rainbows and lollipops, everyone would wake up tomorrow and would no longer feel the need to oppress and marginalize others. But the reality of the situation is as long as we're alive, there are... I personally feel like there will always be marginalized and oppressed folks. And so but what I do think is what I do know is that any sort of movement or changes within society have come when people have collectively mobilized. So change is not going to come from one person. There's so much power in in strength in numbers. And I don't think that every single person has to be on board all seven billion people or seven and a half billion people that live in the world for us to dismantle the system. I just think we need a critical mass of people. But I think an important part of that is understanding that within our communities, within every community, we have a common enemy, white supremacy. White supremacy doesn't even isn't even safe. For doesn't even keep white people safe because white supremacy is predicated on the idea that in order to um, in order to enjoy the benefits of white supremacy, you have to be like this pinnacle of white perfection. Any sort of deviation from what is deemed as the norm or the prototype will lead to marginalization and oppression those of you listening who hold multiple marginalized identities may understand what I'm talking about. And, you know, as long as one of us is oppressed, we will all continue to be oppressed. So anti-blackness is in everyone's interest to dismantle because as long as systems are anti-black, systems will also work to oppress every person. Systems will work to continue to oppress disabled folks, um, systems will work to oppress the the queer community. Systems will work to oppress the transgender community, So and so on and so forth. So it is in all of our interests to dismantle white supremacy, not just the interest of white people, not just the interest of folks of color. White supremacy continues to oppress all of us. I wrote an article about four ways that white supremacy harms white people. I did a... Um, an episode on it as well. Um, but I'm going to leave a link to the article in the show notes in case you want to check it out. But essentially, like we should all be, you know, it sounds very kumbaya. I'm not saying like, you know, forget our differences, forget you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's important to understand that our experiences are different. Nothing's wrong with that. But I think that we are not each other's enemy. White supremacy is the enemy, and white supremacy is a system. So it's not about a white person or a black person, because I think we assume white people uphold white supremacy. Um, But if we continue to, to think about white supremacy, as being propagated by people, then we will be con- then we will continue to be evaded by white supremacy because white supremacy again is a system. I, as a black woman, can uphold white supremacy when I expect my black um, reports to adhere to Eurocentric standards of beauty. That is my way of upholding white supremacy. When I tell. My black colleagues that they need to straighten their hair or that they shouldn't wear their hair in its natural form because it doesn't look professional. And I'm using professional, I'm saying professional in air quotes. All of those are the continuation and perpetuation of white supremacy. So I think what I would love to have us understand is that there is strength in numbers. There is strength in, and all of our oppressions are interconnected. Um, Angela Davis says this in her book, Freedom is a Constant Struggle. But, you know, all of our oppressions are connected. If my sibling in Palestine, or if my sibling in Israel, or my sibling in wherever is experiencing oppression, harm, marginalization, then I am not free. I am not free unless my siblings are free too. And, it you know, it's just like the Audrey Lorde quote that, you know, um, she said something and I wish I, I remembered it word for word. But um, I'm not free as long as my sister is not free, even if her shackles look different from my own. Um so the, you know that quote is real. And so, you know, sorry y'all, this is a super duper ramble. It's late at night. I'm not really tired, but I'm just like my thoughts are are jumbled and are not organized. Um I just kind of wanted to express my thoughts and I think that we have a common enemy. We it it takes so much energy to fight within our communities and to fight against white supremacy. And I think that the enemy of my enemy is my friend, you know, and we, white supremacy is all of our enemies, and we need to understand that it's not a, and I feel like I sound super kumbaya, but it's not, um, it's not a zero-sum game. We are going to, you know, the way that we are going to topple white supremacy and deconstruct it is by having everyone collectively work to dismantle white supremacy, collectively work to dismantle uh, anti-blackness. Um, if, if you're not checking your family and your community that's propagating anti-blackness, if you're not calling out colorism, featureism, texturism, fat phobia, um, all the isms, then things are gonna continue. So I say this whole ramble to say like, yeah, I think it's great to collectively band together to stop Asian hate, but I also think we need to look in the mirror and think about ways that we have propelled anti-blackness, ways that we have upheld white supremacy. And I think until we are able to do that, a shift will not happen because we created these, these people within our society. These are not aberrations. These are reflections of who we are as a country and who we are as a world. So I hope this episode made sense. I know it was like super rambly, y'all. Um, it's super late. I'm not going to share what time it is right now, but I'm, I'm committed to you know, to getting content out and being consistent um, with these episodes. So I hope y'all enjoyed this episode. Again, I left resources in the show notes and um, wish me happy birthday. <laughs> Hit me up on Instagram and LinkedIn. Shout out to all my Aries folks out there listening. Um, but that is where I'm going to leave today's episode off. I hope y'all have an amazing uh, week. I hope you all have an amazing Monday. I'm supposed to be taking a trip at the end of this week, um, which should still be happening. Um, but I will check all out that in the next episode. Um, actually, <laughs> yeah, this is a this is an interesting episode. I'm super disorganized. I actually think there's not going to be an episode next week because I'm just thinking about the fact that I will be gone um, next Sunday when I record these episodes. So next week will be a little break and then I'll be back in April. Um, so, you know, I will keep y'all posted. You know, let's connect on um, on LinkedIn and on Instagram and we can talk more about all of this there. Um, so, you know, it'll be a little bit of a one week hiatus next week. And then I'll be back April, the first Sunday, Monday in April. Um, But I hope you all enjoy this episode. This is such a stream of consciousness and a ramble, but I love you all. Um, I'm glad that I have you all. (laughs) Um, I have you all out there in in podcast land, and um, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, And again, I just want my heart goes out to all of those affected by the events that occurred this week. And um, without further ado, I'll go ahead and close this episode off. I will check y'all out in two weeks on the next episode of the Dirty Diversity Podcast.